0: See All right, so Isaiah thirty-one. is 30. 30. thirty. thirty. Then guess what? <laughs> You're ahead. Right. Y'all are much further ahead than me. Because I did not study that chapter. I asked, and for clarity, he didn't give me anything. So, huh? Answered thirty. I didn't get it. You
1: didn't see
0: that? Nope. Yeah, we can
2: skip thirty, go
0: thirty-one. It's okay. We're just it's no big deal. We're, we're still going to do it. We're still going to do what's on the board.
2: Yeah. We'll do. we
0: we'll are still going to do what's on, on the board. It's no big, big. Yeah, big deal. 30 is pretty big. That's yeah, big it's other. still oh, no big deal. Here we go. So we'll go through the first five verses. So if somebody wants to read those, we can. It'd be helpful. I got you. All right. Isaiah
2: chapter thirty. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord who carry out a plan but not mine and who make an alliance but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation for though his officials are at Zion and his envoys reach Haines, everyone come to shame through a people that cannot profit
0: them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Okay. So, what I put on the board is kind of what I go through when I look at pro- uh, prophetic or poetic passages which all of these have been. We talk about it week after week. And I usually think in three, uh, three ways progressively. First and foremost, what do I see in context? And in particular, in these five verses, if each one of you were to take just a moment and write down two or three thoughts that come to you about the five verses. And you were to pay, put them like, in, my thoughts from context. And then you were to say, okay, and do any of those thoughts lead me to a, con, a connection point outside of Isaiah? And then would those connection points lead me to a point of application? That would give us something great to share with one another. That's kind of cohesive. So why don't we try that?
1: Well, starting off, it's interesting. These they carry out a plan, but not
0: mine. Okay, and so that, that's your context thought. They carry out a plan that's not mine.
1: This, this condemnation of the Egyptian alliance, they carry out a plan, but it's not mine, although that seems to be a constant in these passages that keep going for other alliances. And this is, but against my will. So with that idea, in mind, the context thought is the alliance, but not following God's plan, by going to the Egyptians, connected thought outside of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust the Lord with all your ways don't lead into an understanding in the application part along the same line.
0: Okay. So if you put that into an application point for us to take away, what would be the application then?
1: Uh, align yourself with anything outside of God's plan for your life. Uh, you know, uh, just putting you in a dangerous position. Yeah, making alliances, and maybe not even just outright alliances, but, uh, you know, uh, whether explicitly or implicitly, uh, just allowing things into your life and looking at those things to save you, uh, maybe even yourself, rather than, you know, trusting in God and his promises. And, and, uh. yeah.
3: yeah. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. Um.
1: God wants us to turn to him first, because it sounds like he's saying, they didn't even come to me, and they trusted Egypt instead. So God is saying, I'm stronger than Egypt, and yet you turn to them.
0: Okay. And where would we see a connection on that? Well, in the idea of
1: God's will, defining God's will even more clearly, that there is God's sovereign will, how kind of I like, Bring all of this to you for fulfillment in christ that being definitely god's sovereign will and there's also his will of command and so even if we further define just what is god's will nebulously well sometimes it's hard for us to figure but we know what god tells us to do to be separate to be holy and they weren't to trust in yahweh but they didn't so i think this is specifically talking about the will of command when he told them to do what they knew to do
0: and they didn't like when you go into the land, be separate from these people, and they did not. So, you know, you go back to it. So, Clint, you know, I know you are a chaplain, right? And and some of these guys in here are combat, and I was a combat arm uh, And you know, you know, it's so funny. We went to the to the post exchange for the first time in twenty years yesterday, and it shocked me that you know walking around it's like the old guy in there. You know, and just felt so weird about that. Um, And you know, you're you're walking in there, and you're walking through and you walk back out and everything else, and you start remembering old conversations that you had. My wife was always one of those that never worried. You know, like you get some military spouses, you know, they pack up, everything go home. And then you get the spouses that are just not worried. Their husband's deployed, they're just not worried and people would ask her all the time why are you not worried and she says look he's as safe in combat or in a deployment zone as he is at the house because if he's with God's will then he's in God's will and if it was God's will that he joined and it's God's will then that he deploys because God if he joined in God's will that God controls the orders that takes him to this unit, to this unit, to this unit, to this deployment, to this deployment, and if he dies in combat, well, that was also in God's
3: purview of control. I think I would agree with Caleb, though. I hear what you're saying, uh, but there, I think there's a couple of different things that we're trying to separate here. And one is God's sovereign will over everything and where we're going to end up and when our time's going to be. Uh, God's will as far as commands go like hey I told you to separate these are the ten laws but then one of the greatest sermons I ever heard on God's will um, from the New Testament perspective was that you be saved, spirit filled sanctified, submissive will suffer say thanks and lastly Psalms, delight in the Lord do what what it is because when your heart is filled and directed in Christ then you make good decisions. Yeah I understand
0: that but let me say this at no point in 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 should any soldier's mind be that the chariot and the horse AKA the rifle and the tactics the nods the flak vest the parachute the APC whatever the mode of transportation is now be the thing of trust it is God first and foremost and those are the instruments by which he protects with if he chooses and yes that doesn't mean we run around reckless because I said tactics.
3: Yeah, and your heart's gotta be right, too.
0: Yes, so, but, but what I'm saying, though, is, is, is if you're following him, yeah. and, and,
3: and
0: so so in that essence, as an individual, you can make that a, an application process. Nationally speaking, what Caleb is also saying, and what you, which I agree with you here on this aspect, too, is, is they failed to do what they were commanded to do in occupying the land and obeying the commands. So there is that element too. So we have this idea of individual failure. And individual failure leads to corporate failure. failure. See, we we always kind of want to jump on this corporate failure of Israel. And I think we do it too much. Because you can't have corporate failure without... Mm -hmm without individual failure so now you make a connection point so if I go from from context thought to connected thought how about Daniel where he prays and confesses his individual sin as a drop in Israel's collective sin and then receives the answer of his vision for the future like, do we, uh, does everybody in this room understand that everybody in this room has a piece yeah. in the United States' ungodliness towards God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Romans chapter 1 makes certain of that in those lumping together of all of those words at the very end and says, You either laugh at it and participate in it, or you tolerate it, thus you participate in it, or you do some kind of shading within it, thus you participate in it, and you know better. I mean, Let's turn there. Romans chapter 1. Just so you can see what I'm saying, so I'm not paraphrasing it and taking it too far out of context or accidentally taking it out of context. So I don't want to do that. and it goes to what you're saying brother about you individually have to be right with God verse yeah, um,
1: 31. 31
0: all day they, they know God's just sentence now this is after this is after like verse 16 where it says the, this is the power of God unto salvation which is the gospel mm-hmm. for the Jew first also for the Greek And then it goes into they didn't know God, so they didn't say thankful to God, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools, verse 22. So God gave them up, and they began to worship the creature more than the creator. So God gave them over to their desires, so then they went into sexual perversions. Uh, First they went into sexual perversions between men and women, like orgies and things of that nature, well, that went into homosexuality, and he clearly describes it: women burning, men burning in their lust with other men, women leaving uh, men and burning with each other, unnatural desires, and, and going on and on and on. And then he goes on to so far as to their mind becomes void of being able to even tell right from wrong, so they think that this is a proper lifestyle. And he by the time he gets down to verse twenty-five or verse 26 he's talking about all this verse 27 he's like they can't even tell right from wrong and then he says in verse 29 this makes them all unrighteous evil greed wicked murderers he's going through this whole laundry list of all these evil things and then verse 31 he says although they know God's just sentence those that who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them But applaud them, others who practice them. And and what happens is we end up doing that through entertainment. Grammys, Oscars, award shows, music shows. Not so much the shows themselves,
3: it's just did we pay for the ticket to go watch the show? Halftime. Super Bowl coming up. That's a question. Is that a question? I'll say, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. (laughs) Uh, Israel, when they was getting judged, they got judged corporately, correct? And individually. And individually, but... We can say that it was some pretty good, I don't, well, I want to say, well, I say Christians, like Daniel, the three Hebrew boys. Yep. But besides them, it was a lot more people that followed uh, the laws. They was under the law, they followed it, right? Some of them. Some of them did. But God punished him, them, just like he punished everybody else. Sure. The church, does God punish us that way? Or do or? Yeah, blue, yeah. Like, let's say one of these Christians in here, Go out and let's say they're and they cheat on their
0: wife. Will God punish me for that? Well, let's put it this way: If God were to ever decide that an invading army should come through, and one of these godly men are on the front line, and a tank rolls through the middle of the flank, one of them might be run over. Well, my, I'm mean, that's that's now. My, now, here's my here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna ask this question two part. Okay? First part by instruction, second part by story, and then my question. So let me walk through the pieces, okay? So you know where I'm going. Okay? First part, we have to understand, and it goes back again to how we have the lenses that Pastor Sean talked about on Sunday and how we read the Bible. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to show you the lens by which I look at So I see the lenses this way. I have a U for unsaved people. And I have an S for saved. And what we've always known in the Bible is unsaved as as this idea of, in an unsaved column, there are Jewish people. And they are ethnic Jews. Because we didn't know anything about spiritual Jews. We didn't have a New Testament. We just knew they were living under the law, waiting for a Messiah to the time of redemption. Waiting for them to become saved. So, without the New Testament, we didn't understand how they were already saved. That's why I have them all in that column. But the truth is, because of the New Testament's light, we now understand that a Jacob, a Daniel, a Moses, a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of those kind of biblical figures were already saved. They were ethnic Jews who were also spiritual Jews. And according to Romans nine, there was this group of Gentiles over here who were not gods. And if you're not gods, you're unsaved. Who at the time of the church, but truthfully was. There were Gentiles always joining the Jewish people. They were going through the proselyte positioning of it to join into the adjoining camp of. They were out in the court of the Gentiles and everything else. So there were individual Gentiles, not many. But then we turned our attention to the church, to have a Gentile church, and there's a salvation process happening. And according to Romans 2, Romans 9, Romans 10, Romans 11, Galatians 6, all of them are called the children of Abraham. Spiritual Israel. The Israel of God. All synonymous for saved people who are spiritual Jews. So all of these, all saved people are spiritual Jews. So now we have basically we can't just say what we have is we have unsaved people and saved people unsaved people are either ethnic jews or gentiles and all saved people are spiritual jews (coughs) so did some spiritual jews go through a hard time by being deported yes And even if they died in the deportation process, even if they died in a battle of invasion, did they die eternally? No. No. So, I had a professor. She came here and spoke at graduation. She came back and did our in-service. Her and her brother were diagnosed with terminal cancer on the same day, yet our God is a God of miracles and he healed both of them of terminal cancer. He healed her on this side of eternity and her brother on the other side. Were they both healed? Are they both safe? Is God any less gracious to either one of them? I think all of those answers, they profess their Christian,
2: yes. Because.
0: He's equally he, gracious to both. Yes. And He is
2: the ultimate healer, even though we think of death as being not healing.
0: But we may have a hard time with it <coughs> because we're still locked to this one. world. Mm-hmm. And locked to this. Flesh, and we yet don't see things in the, uh, in the ideology of his glorification. And I think that's where we have the struggle, Ron, is, is seeing it for the terms of his glorification versus I'm ticked because an E5 who had a different ideology at the outset of the war 20 some odd years ago there was this newly pinned captain who climbed out of my turret about the same time I did when I got med boarded and I left the army and he went to the 101st from bomb holder Germany and he was working in the command talk because they didn't have a command for him yet and the guy threw a grenade in and he jumped on it and he died a good Christian man one of our first deaths in Iraq a guy I worked with for 18 months shoulder to shoulder my lieutenant and to this to this day I still get upset about it and I learned about it by reading the paper for current events in my first period class in the second week of my first year of teaching. It's tough. It's incredibly tough because it's hard for us as Christians to understand this. But the truth is, yes, our God is sovereign. And he chose to work in his life because his foundation has done incredible things through his wife to bring soldiers to Christ. And yet, it's because he was offered, he was passed his commission, commitment, but he stayed in to keep working with soldiers because he knew they were going to war and some of them would need Christ and he never got the chance yet the wife is carrying on the work to this day the Chris Seifert sound, uh, foundation it's why I give to veteran suicide on a regular basis and I give to that, uh, that one those are my two main charities I give to annually and, 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 and it, it is how God works it, uh, does that help with the question it is. And, 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 and yes some good Christian men might die but they're not going to go to hell and, and I think that God did that and then some get to go through and get put in positions of heavy influence where they get a magnificent platform to speak from. A guy like a guy that was here just a few weeks ago, Chuck Albertson, who got to go up and work as the uh, the Secretary of the, uh, the Chief of Staff for the Army Sergeant Major, was his last duty position and he came here and sat right over here next to me and everybody in this room would have thought he was just another guy sitting in the room and would have been unassuming because he's already starting to grow a beard because he's retired now but but that was his last duty position and he came to church here for years and nobody really knew who he was because. and he was the entire sergeant major for the entire post but it was brag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's just and he was an unassuming guy because he was a Christian brother that believed rank comes off when we walk through the door because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and you look at a guy that gets that opportunity to rise to that level like a Daniel and you get somebody who dies on the front line and you get other guys who just they go through, they live their lives we work in anonymity we just come and we work in a school and that's our job. Nobody will ever remember our names, but you know what? The kids that had us might. I remember I was reading Ephesians 4 today. It's talking
2: about the, uh, the gifts
0: that God gives.
2: Um, mm-hmm. you know, some, Are you going to make a connection point to this? Well, more to what you were saying just a second ago. Uh, but another connection point to this to erase what I just said. It no, finish that, your thought about Ephesians 4. And then well, come back you're talking this. about um, everybody has a different purpose that plays into the edification of the saints. Yeah, you know, and some are apostles, preachers, evangelists, on and on. And then if you're not one of those people, um, you still have mm-hmm. spiritual gifts that you use for the church.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna give. Uh, so I'm gonna give you your connection point back into this. If they weren't following God's plan, they were following their own plan. Yeah. People who exercise their gift are following whose plan? God's. Yes. Uh, right. If they use it properly, could you right. use your, gifts, your yeah, gifts? yeah. Of course you can many 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 popular singers started out in their church yeah whitney houston johnny cash and the list goes on and on that's just two that popped into the top of my head Yeah, elvis, elvis. elvis. <laughs> well that's debatable <laughs> that jester might have won the king's crown all right <laughs> buddy, <laughs> buddy holly might have been the king
2: another thing that i was thinking about with uh, with this section of scripture was that you know I guess Mr. Warren said it earlier but <laughs> Hebrews eleven six uh, or twelve six which was talking about discipline you
0: know father disciplines who those who are his um, you know he's going to be mad if we come back and tell him he's on verse six yeah. <laughs> so but go ahead Blake no that's all
3: I was saying.
2: <laughs> I mean, you're the one
3: that took it to so. <laughs> uh. hey, i So, anybody, so like? I, had this, I had this whole great thing
4: where I just looked up like how this prophecy came true. Go ahead, brother. that's no, all right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go ahead, man.
4: It just it was interesting. I was trying to find it, but basically, it sounds like um, there's a couple different areas it could have potentially been. But prior to Hezekiah, it sounded like uh, they they initially started leaning against Egypt. So Assyria, when this is being written, Assyria is being successful against Israel. It's moving its battle down to Judah. Uh, Judah begins to lean on Egypt and look to them to their chariots and horses. And in fact, it, I can't I can't put a finger on it. So at one point, even the king of Assyria comes to Hezekiah and says, "Look at you! You're you're hanging on to the reed, Egypt, that's broken. You're trusting in its chariots and horses." And you can't sit turn around and then say that it's your God that's going to win for you, or you know something like that. So, but Hezekiah doesn't end up trusting on them. But I think later on they do. Is that the case Yeah, and then eventually what they they do uh, is that uh, they do trust and they do, <coughs> even in after Hezekiah at some point in there in uh, Second Psalms. Uh, one of the kings of israel is uh, taken out or of uh, judah is being taken out by egypt and the pharaoh is actually putting the next guy there and claiming jehoiakim is named that by mm-hmm. the pharaoh yep. so said that gets to the part where it says you uh, you trust in egypt and it uh, but it says that uh, the uh, therefore the strength of the pharaoh shall be your shame
0: yeah it's pop- it's, it's popularly considered that this chapter, the next chapter, and the next chapter, 30, 31, and 32, are all uh, prophecies concerning the final stages of Judah's last days, mm-hmm. which is what you're referencing. Yeah. So 31 uh, might be connected to the killing of the 185,000 Assyrians yeah, yeah. by the angel. Um and also the time that Hezekiah runs to the altar and falls on it. Uh, 32, uh, 30, 31, 32 also with the deposing of the kings uh, and preparation of Daniel's deportation into Babylon, uh, because 32 references Nebuchadnezzar directly.
4: So for me, the application here is that uh, one, that the Lord, his word is true and he's the only one who is significant or uh, omniscient he knows the beginning and the end and he's explaining it to us he's giving us plenty of warning before it happens and that's something that we should heed because there's other stuff now that we look towards the future and even other things that we should heed those things lest we become like uh, Judah here and trust in earthly things thinking that we can work ourselves through it and, and then look back and go, that was, I
1: trusted in a long um, kind of picking up where he left off. Um, there's a note in this little study Bible that I got, that um, and uh, it says that Zoan, verse 4, was an important city, formerly the capital of Egypt. I mentioned in this verse because it was a residence of Pharaoh's wisest advisors. And it reminds me that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. So not just trusting in things earthly, but even just man's wisdom. Yeah. How it falls not putting much or just in chariot or horses or man's wisdom, but in God's wisdom.
4: Yeah. That's good.
1: Because
4: <coughs> there's even a tie to that one too, another verse that goes back to First Kings where they're like, is there not a man of God here for us to give advice about like this
0: warfare or defending ourselves? Okay, so let's read through verse 17, if we can.
2: The oracle concerning the beasts of Negev. Through a land of distress and anguish, from where come lioness and lion, viper and a flying serpent. They carry their riches on their backs of young donkeys, and their treasures on camel's humps, to a people who cannot profit them. Even Egypt... Whose help is in vain and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who has been exterminated. Verse 8. Now go, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll, that it may serve in the time to come as a witness forever. For this is a rebellious people, all sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instructions of the Lord. Verse 10. Who say to the seers, You must not see visions, and to the prophets, You must not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us pleasant words. Prophecy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Verse 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach uh, about to fall, a bulge in a high wall, whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant. Verse 14 whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, so ruthlessly shattered that a sharp, that a sherd will not be found among its pieces, to take fire from a hearth or to scoop water from a cistern. Verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. And you said, No, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. Verse seventeen. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on a mountain top and as a signal on a hill.
4: know why you're writing that down. Uh, I found it interesting though. The, the Rahab, I looked it up. Uh, yes, it means a couple different things. Strength is one of them, but it also was a mythical, uh, sea monster
2: parable to me.
4: 17 is the exact opposite of Leviticus six eight because I'm sure it's
1: mentioned in other places but um, where he says five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand and your enemies will fall before you if they follow God's command hmm. he's literally saying the exact opposite here because they're not right mm-hmm. so so where did we see that
0: play out? Leviticus
1: Plus AI, but that's kind of a little bit
0: early, right? But it's AI, and where did we see the reverse of AI? Gideon. Oh yeah, Gideon Right. So now we're so we're seeing it again. In I just I just went when he said false sons, I couldn't help myself if I had been over at a table where I could take notes and stuff so I just ran up to the board I heard false sons I remember what we talked about earlier
3: false sons has to equal Jews would there be an implication in there that
0: there would still be some true sons spiritual Jews I wouldn't know the difference in them per se unless I have the New Testament to help me clarify it lucky I live today but I can put that on my notes you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and it's a time where I can come back and keep clarifying to help me break apart for my clarity of understanding in here and helping me understand these passages Caleb one that's been coming through my mind over and over and over again Loretta Heather and I don't know if it's been with y'all Uh, Jessica, maybe you. And the reason I'm referring to the BBA teachers and stuff is because we all, I think we all have this book. If we don't, maybe it's a book we should all have uh, in our library, and we should maybe make that happen. It's uh, Riding with the Horses by the ACSI president, uh, Larry Taylor. It's about game planning for your family to prepare your children or the next generation to... For being prepared for life's hostilities and raising a godly generation. So, Blake, did you catch that? Yep, I was mm-hmm. yeah running with the horses. It's based on Jeremiah five twelve, um,
3: I think. So, if we just turn it real quick, you say running with the horses?
0: Mm-hmm. hmm. Right. Running. Running. Yeah, like huh 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 uh, yeah me to that door back there. Running. Am I five to eight? Is that what you said? I think twelve. I 12 five. Oh twelve five. Twelve five. Okay. I I am always getting those numbers mixed up. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, if you if you have raced with runners and they have worn you out how can you compete with forces if you stumble in a peaceful land? Okay, so think about that. That's here. That's now. That's our church. That's your home. If we're stumbling in Bible study, <clears throat> if we're stumbling with almost no persecution, you're dumb Christians. Oh, oh! You hurt me. I'm never, I'm never going to witness again. If, if you stumble in a peaceful land, what will you do in the thickets of the Jordan? What what Jeremiah was saying was they were on the verge of the third deportation when Jeremiah is writing, and he's basically saying, "Look, look, man, if if you're being worn out in a peaceful time with just like training stuff, how are you going to survive combat? If, if if you can't hack it in a school environment." what are you going to do when it's the real deal Well, and truth be told, in, in church is a church is a training environment well, I, i've often
1: thought about daniel you know we 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 see that daniel 1-8 that he purposed in his heart but i would dare say that's not the first time that he he took a stand and i my my thought has always been with daniel 1-8 the reason why he why he did that in a foreign land was because he did it in his homeland when those around him, his own Jewish brothers,
0: were stumbling. We're not. Right. And, and, and my point is is that it goes back to clip where we opened up in the first four or five verses, and you know, what you were talking about was is they were no longer looking to God. And Caleb, you just brought it up with the reversed verses. Mm of it being the opposite see when they were with God they weren't stumbling so you know the idea of it is is in Jeremiah's time he's like look the reason you're stumbling and training and you're not going to hack it when it comes real is because you don't have God
2: well that was happening with Abraham too Abraham went down to Egypt and stumbled uh, and stumbled God, and then he came back, repented at um, the place where the rocks were, and then and then he turns around and goes and defeats
0: all of the, okay. those armies. But I will tell you this. Abraham's Egypt is the thicket of the Jordan. Where did he stumble? Uh, whenever he left Canaan. Why? But he stumbled before he left Canaan. Well, because he didn't trust God. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. But then he turns around, trust God, and then takes 300. So when did he flee from the five? When was he one being chased by five? They were an imaginary five.
1: Well, he was fearful.
0: Before he got in the land, because he looked at his wife and said,
1: beautiful.
0: You're beautiful, and they're going to oh, yeah. kill, me. kill me. But they were imaginary. Yeah. He wasn't there yet. It's this passage. This is why the Bible says, gird up your loins Of your minds. Sorry, that's a King Jamie. Right? <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, 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 you, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the idea of of, this idea of if we don't have our minds, if we're not conditioning ourselves, if we're not preparing ourselves... We're going to falter, mm. and we're going to be just like them because we're going to start. We're just going to default on something man-made—a covenant, a dispensation, a commentary, some 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 um, creed—and not what we've studied, not the Holy Spirit speaking to us. So, why did I want you to do the boxes? Because when you were having the thoughts that you could put in the boxes, that wasn't a creed, that wasn't a covenant, that wasn't a dispensation, that wasn't some commentary book, that wasn't anything like that. You know what that was? God, the Holy Spirit. That's training in a safe environment. Get comfortable hearing the Holy Spirit. What was you going to say, Caleb? You had your hand
1: raised. Or uh, well, it, it kind of goes back a little bit in the direction that you're going right now. But um, Deuteronomy 28 has always been a, a really neat chapter to look at because course, this speaks more to ethnic Jews than you know, the church today. And so there's not really a direct application. But Deuteronomy 28 is actually a very long chapter. And the, the chapter opens with blessings for obedience. And this is where, he, where God says, I'll bless your fields, I'll bless your houses. And he goes through a very long list, but two-thirds of the chapter is dedicated to what he will curse if they don't.
0: So there's a lot more to say about what will happen badly? Yes. That's why I like Con. He's kind of like me. I like that. Oh it has such a positive outlook on life. Mm -hmm. Sounds like God might have been a first sergeant or something. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Chris?
3: (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Sean? uh,
2: But the next verse though in Isaiah uh, what chapter was thirty? Verse eighteen. I'm not there right now, but the next verse says something about him desiring that they would go back. I'm gracious! Yeah, it says therefore the. And then he goes in verse eighteen. Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion for on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him! So okay. yes, there's there's that there's that
0: you know obvious punishment for disobedience. But All right, so. And I'm glad you brought that up. So if I took you right here, Blake, and you had to insert verse 18 here, where would you put verse 18? Uh, what do you mean? I'm kind of confused. If I made you come up here and put an arrow. In fact...
1: Oh, Scripture, Jesus. <coughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. Don't put an arrow where, where, where verse 18 belongs. Oh my, context
4: thoughts. Golly, I just don't know. What, are you, what is your? I'm not gonna... So, so my question, my 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 direction, my
0: direction is to you. Since verse eighteen is a verse of mercy of the two types of people up there, which one do you think verse eighteen applies to? You? Draw an arrow to it. You got two choices. Yeah. Okay. Good. Like um, this you think it applies to the false sons because jesus died for everybody no wait a minute do you think literally of the two people which one he's going to allow the most of them to live to survive to be to be brought back yeah i mean it would obviously be the spiritual sons. but thank you from my from my uh now don't be wrong don't be wrong I understand what you're saying, yeah. but out of the most immediate, there might be a few false sons that live through. But where do you think the majority of He's going to be talking to with, in verse 18? Yeah, the spiritual
1: sons. Those are good. right,
0: because it goes back on to what we were talking about.
1: But there's also a midline to that because one of the key statements that Isaiah says all throughout is, "My anger is kindled, but my hand is still stretched out." Right, and that could very well be against the ones that are not saved because if you okay, can't.
0: Yeah, right. But let me ask you a question. How many of the 10 tribes came back?
3: Thank you. And I think... Say that again? I think some of us kind of missed the point that God is not going to overcome our will. It's our will to either say, Jesus, I love you, I want to be saved. Exactly. Some people know the truth. They they know, they understand, but they still not going to accept it like, so like I'm going to override. What's
0: that? So say that again. So, um how many people? How many of the ten tribes came back after the captivity in Babylon, Babylon and Assyria or Babylon? Right. Ten, tribes?
4: ten tribes. Ten tribes. Oh, okay. So you're saying yeah. How you're many? Not, you're, not, you're, not, you're not including <laughs> Benjamin and Judah.
0: I am not including Benjamin and the Judah. Guy. I'm of the the original northern kingdom that got carried away by the Assyrians. Israel. Israel. How many of those of the ten tribes came back? None. Zero. None of the tribes came back. Now, by the end times, they will come back and be regathered. Or is that allegorical? For okay. the complete body of believers.
3: So, um, so a bit.
0: Depends on what glasses you got on. Oh, very good, yeah. Sam. I was going to push back a little bit. I think I know the direction you're going, <laughs> but
1: Ezra and Nehemiah are the three ways of Jews that came back. Now, I agree that their identity didn't come back
4: intact. Oh, but, but those were the two tribes. Those yeah, he's, two the, we, when we when he says ten tribes of Israel, we're thinking all twelve, the reality is he's saying Israel meaning the northern it's kingdom. kingdom. Exactly. So those ten, that's why at first I was like, that doesn't oh. seem that's why oh, I caught up because that. because Benjamin and Judah did come back because Daniel <laughs> had kept themselves pure.
0: And they settled in both the north yeah. and the that's south, cool. sort of making back. up making up Galilee and Judea. Yeah. That's how you get a, a tribe of Judah living in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. That's actually really
4: good.
2: makes sense. <laughs> wow.
0: So it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be to the false ones. Now I'm not just I'm not just saying that it that it couldn't include some of them because he does need to keep a heritage and of course it has to include some of them and in particular which some of non-believers that are just pure ethnic Jews and I'm going to give you a hint. It's because of a certain covenant, and this is the only time a covenant will come in play in that aspect. The Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. Because it has to preserve the royal family. And in particular, the exact line of kings, so that Christ has direct lineage to the throne. Well, yeah, and the reason I said that
2: was because of my knowledge about the verse that talks about his... uh, which is that none might
0: perish, you know, but all that would, but that all would have everlasting life. Yes, but it, but depending on which lens you look at, every kingdom of the world doesn't mean every kingdom of the world, and all people doesn't mean all people. It can mean one person from that tribe, and thus all people. The tribe is re- represented by a remnant. That's correct. I think I'm a little deep in the water here. So, 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 so here's the thing: if, if, if if the original twelve tribes prior to the first destruction by the Assyrians had spiritual Jews in them, yeah, will all twelve tribes be represented yes. in the eternal kingdom? Yes, that makes sense. One hundred percent. Then all twelve tribes are already taken care of. The thing that really he doesn't have to gather from them in the future.
1: Hmm. A couple years ago, I heard a comparison to three old things
0: Depending on what lenses you're looking that's like through, a technicality thing. Looking depends on what lenses you're looking through. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. just remember
1: we don't know which lenses are right all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it, that, but that's my point <laughs> on this. We can speculate on these matters all we want to in a Bible study we can look at it from all the perspectives that's fine, that's great it's great for debate, it makes us sharper it's going to make some of y'all go back and study more that's the purpose of it as long as nobody walks out of here thinking Jesus Christ didn't die for our sins let me be em- empirical on this he did and you must believe in him Otherwise, everything we're talking about is mute to you. Satan is your master and you're headed towards his throne and you don't want to do that. It's called hell. Well, I saw a couple years ago
1: for an interesting, I'm sure this, all these history books in here might find something to pull off of this. But three of the oldest countries, cultures in the world, China, Russia, and Israel. So talking about a remnant, Looking at the size of the difference of China and Russia compared to Israel, that's the idea of what a remnant is, because all does not mean all. It means that there's a remnant. And,
0: is like- and Blake, that would be the hyper-Calvinist argument. Just in case you ever come across one. I'll put that in the filing cabinet. <laughs> I mean, I'm just... Just in case you ever come across one. Thank you. (laughs) It is interesting,
1: though.
0: Because they can make the argument that the 12 tribes are already represented because of the past. And a dispensationalist would would argue as firmly that it has to be that somewhere in this world, scattered about, those 10 tribes are still blood-represented... And there's going to be a soul harvest described in the book of Revelation and God's going to bring them back together in a special time that is meant for them. Mm-hmm. Because that is a hardcore dispensationalist argument. Yeah. back to, again, so, so if you look at the two extremes of the spectrum, not knowing whose glasses you're looking through, you get what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. So you're,
2: you're presenting the different points so that we can better understand where somebody's coming from. Correct. Okay not saying that either
0: one is particularly true that has not been my point all night Yeah.
4: it's
0: interesting there's something that you're talking about uh so I a a while back ago uh, though i lean further along this spectrum <laughs> and i'm much much further along this spectrum than i am that one and i will freely admit that but i'm not hyper does that make sense be calm
4: <laughs> so uh, i was in a class about hermeneutics uh which is the glasses yeah about um I don't know, 10 15 years ago and there was a great exercise that every time we, we talked about this and i appreciate the fact that sean kind of made that spectrum to kind of explain this and that you're taking the time to and it was a really good experiment that he goes okay he split the room and he said this verse just a particular verse. I'm going to bring it up so get controversial this verse right here uh this half of the room he goes to talk to them you're going to this you're going to prove that this means this hmm. and he goes to the other one and it's like and I was in that group it's like, you're going to prove that this means this and you and we started digging and using all the tools and how we were everywhere and everything like that and both sides were like adamantly arguing and trying to persuade them no it's this because of this and i was in this group and it ended up being completely not it you know what i mean like we find out later on as it, as you started being pulled out from showing up with baggage uh that how much damage it does mm. so i i i think it's good to remove uh calvinists dispensationalists all these different things and just approach the scripture listen to the Holy Spirit and begin to uh, be a Berean and read it through as you do and let it, let it speed uh, because the minute you show up with a camp uh, perspective you're going to drift towards that no matter what even if it's something that might not even be that you're just automatically going to go that path and it was really eye opening to me how much it damaged your ability to understand what, what you were
0: reading you know
4: are there any benefits to and that's a question based
2: on his statement. Is there, are there any benefits to having some type of identification?
0: Yes. The Bible is very clear that a novice is blown about by every wind of doctrine. Yeah. And therefore you're not suited to lead in the church. Mm. You're not eligible to teach. You're not eligible to be a deacon you're not eligible to be an elder. So to some degree, you have to pick a position where you settle in and say, this is where I'm comfortable existing. And it can have some margin of movement. Most guys do. Because of the tension of knowledge. But you can't be going from from the left limit to the right limit, running up and down the firing line all day long, every day. When you talk to this guy, you're running over to that foxhole, and, and then when you hear this other guy talking, you're running over to that foxhole. No, you, you've got to stay in your firing lane, and it is a lane, and it has a left and right limit to which you're able to exist. And, and you can talk to the guy on the left and right of you. You can talk to the guy on, on the far end. and you can understand where they're coming from. Now, you're not gonna to go to the room next door where the Satanist is, yeah. and find agreement. Do uh-huh. you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. If you're going there, you're going for combat, and, and, and what you're doing is, is you're going to be a combat lifesaver after you wound them enough that they realize they need saving. Experience. But but yeah, you do have to find your settled position because as I'm going
2: through what Pastor Sean's teaching and things of that nature, uh, the it's really
0: helps me start looking at scripture um, different, not differently in a. See, this is the fun part about being a sub. You can say certain things, and y'all y'all to come back and ask him all the questions and stuff, and he's gonna be upset with me somewhat, but he's the one's gonna no
2: but it's been very helpful and i'm as i'm working through these different like i'm reading the book that he mentioned about this last sunday you know about the different uh types of theologies and things like that and i'm getting more familiar with them all and i find myself uh you know towards like the progressive covenantalism thing but it's like i'm sitting here thinking i'm like you know i just want to read the bible like like you were saying and pull away from its truths, but i also see some type of a necessity uh, to to like be a part of some some type of systematic theology okay write your own <laughs> well <laughs> yeah it's going to be real bad right now but <laughs> but uh, no but that's what I'm saying is the progressive covenantalism thing that's something something that is it seems like it takes both good that I've gotten from Dr. Boyd and then Pastor Sean is a little bit towards the middle and so I'm starting
0: to see that come together and it's very exciting yeah but but like I wasn't joking. Yeah, to write the own. Yeah, I really wasn't joking. I would encourage every person in this room write your own. Mm-hmm. Well, Jack, it's not really very different than
1: educational philosophy, right? You know, we graduate from college, and you know what? I know what I believe, and then you experience in the classroom. You're like, well, I, I had to class, and you're like, Yes. So,
0: still so what? So I, what I would tell you to do is is write your yeah. own. And where you find gaps that you don't know, that's where you need to focus. Where you find gaps that you're uncertain, well, those are the things that you study first because you have some knowledge, so those are the things, that, that's your 50 meters, you knock them out. And you prioritize from what I know the most to what I know the least, and that gives you a priority of study. And you keep rewriting it, and while you're doing it, you put it into practice in your ministry here, so that it's not just a theoretical document from university; it's a pragmatic document that's developed by ministerial experience. Yeah, I see a point. That's how you grow it. The same way that they take that theoretical document and they have to rewrite it their first year after teaching here. And then they have to refine it their second year before they turn it into us. Because it's a two year document because they <clears throat> theoretically they know what they know, but they don't know what they know. The they master's understand. degree that qualified me to be a principal was excellent. Fantastic. I had to fire my first person. And guess what I wasn't taught? How to fire somebody. Guess what the Army never taught me? How to fire somebody. You know what the Army taught me? How to counsel people, put it in a packet, and let a lawyer do it. There you go. What they didn't teach me was how to look somebody in the eye and tell them, you don't have a job. You don't have a paycheck, you can't pay your rent, you can't buy groceries, you don't have health insurance, you have no visible means whatsoever to do anything with your life, and oh, by the way, the only thing I have to offer you, other than all the words that I've just told you, is a prayer that you probably don't want to hear from me and a box of Kleenex. And oh, by the way, would you like for me to walk you out? And take your bag and all that. Yeah, and before you leave, can I have your keys? Yeah. so I had to write an article for publication you know what my first article was about what they don't teach you in college <laughs> point number one how to fire somebody point number two you have to fire people to improve that was incredibly difficult <clears throat> And you know what it's been 12 years you know what's still the hardest part of the job hiring somebody even if you know it's the right thing to do mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: and everybody's always like you should let that person go yeah you're not the one who has to say something that's desk and tell them right
4: as one of your employees i like to say what a fantastic job <laughs> you've done <to> <laughs> <call." laughs>
0: Yeah. This first nice nice. <laughs> <laughs> time. We're going to add a zero to the front
3: of your paycheck.
2: You <laughs> 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 are right that uh, <laughs> right, uh, a lot of things in college,
0: they
3: just only
2: teach you the fundamentals, theory. Yeah, they teach you the theoretics. They don't teach you yeah, about the, actual life, the, the, the actual life of the job like emotional
0: like things. No, they don't teach you they emotional at all. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, that's an emotional thing that you
2: have to say that I've got to let somebody go they might have a whole family that needs this.
0: Look, for our budget's sake, one year we had to let, we had to lay off 10 employees at one time in one year. Mm-hmm. It, when it became evident it was gonna have to be done, the decision was made in October. We made the list in October and I sat for four days on a beach on a four-day weekend and did nothing but fast and pray and weep mm-hmm. with just my wife for four straight days and then i came back here and i had to work like nothing was happening till mm-hmm. march because that's as late as we could delay action mm-hmm. and it was absolutely brutal and i would not delegate the task and i have never delegated the task I've been a lot better story than left the beach far out. Just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, man, you had, had to get away. Oh, no, it's 32 <laughs> degrees. Does that help? <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it, it is what you, it is.
3: What you do. But,
0: uh, but, you know, the best part about this is, is you know, God is still sovereign. you got to pick a point. you got to show up where you're at every one of us do the biggest thing is exercise yourselves Yeah, that's been my whole thing tonight What whatever we've learned out of this and I think we've learned trust God make sure your plans align with God's plans make sure that your brother I think you said it best you individually are aligned with God and in the center of his will I think You brought to us, first and foremost, the the confirmational idea that even though we might belong to God, the graciousness may not work out on this planet. It might be an eternal graciousness that we see, because it doesn't guarantee protection. Because sometimes, still, bad things happen to us. Yeah, bad
3: things
0: happen to people. And. And above all, no matter what, this life is gonna have trials. We do live in a hostile world. So when we have these opportunities, we gotta take the time to sharpen ourselves. Where we can disagree in here, it's a safe environment. We can sharpen each other. And we can do that because if we can't do it in here, then there's no possible way we're gonna be able to do it when we're the only two, three are people out at, at our job sites or wherever we're at. And even those, some of us that work in a Christian environment, sometimes the parents come in and they're just not in the right frame to be Christian, even if they told us yesterday they were. Because when it comes to children, your children, like you'll soon see, it's the quickest way for Satan to make you lose your mind or if they had a horrible day or they've had a horrible day but, uh, had a horrible day with your children and it could be no I'm
2: talking
0: about you had a horrible day and your child's having a horrible day with the yeah. teacher and, he had, and then
2: you
0: it. yeah it's a sanctification yeah god glorify and vacation. <laughs> pastor sean would say and with his last quote for from me to you let's pray <laughs> dear heavenly father lord we thank you for this day you've given fun i thank you for your blessings on us lord i pray that you'll keep our pastor safe as they continue to enjoy their well deserved vacation keep them safe as they're enjoying themselves uh lord we look forward to seeing them sunday as they're back in their places lord i thank you for all those who came out lord i thank you for the opportunity to share with Uh, and lead. But Lord, I thank you for all the wisdom I received tonight. Uh, Lord, I thank you for those who always come in with so much godly wisdom that I get fed every Wednesday from this group. Uh, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Uh, They mean the world to me. Keep them safe as we go out. And I ask this in Christ's name. amen. Amen.